You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, a 5e D&D podcast where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules to enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk to you about sorcerers. Sorcerers are a full magic using class of Dungeons and Dragons and an enormously powerful combatant. However, the argument can absolutely be made that the pro and con of sorcerers is that they are very much a glass cannon. They are incredibly fragile, but oh my, do they put out a lot of potential damage. So that being said, uh, let's actually go into the lore part a little bit first, and then we'll go into the mechanics on this one. So sorcerers are people with a special bloodline, for the most part, that lets them have access to magic. So I say bloodline, but it can technically be a bloodline or just some other world, otherworldly influence or exposure to unknown cosmic forces. So sorcery is not something that you study. It is just being able to shape magic with your will. So this is one of those situations where the as written description of what a sorcerer is I have a really, really, really strong dislike of. However, the way that a sorcerer can be used with just a little bit of tweaking to that lore is awesome to me. So I just have a bias just personally against the whole idea of the special snowflake type of character. And sorcerers are almost kind of designed to be that, that it is only these very, very small percentage of people that have the requisite lineage to be able to cast sorcery. I don't like that. However, just that little bit of tweak of a sorcerer just is the type of person who figures out through sheer force of will to shape the magic of the universe. That is awesome to me. And the abilities that sorcerers have are awesome. So that being said, whether you want sorcerers to be an incredibly rare thing in your world that need to have the special bloodline, or whether you do want to make it a little bit easier and more accessible by having it just be shaping magic through will is always up to the DM. So whichever you want to do, that's fine. That's just my opinion on things. Sorcerers are a spellcaster with a mere d6 
hit die, the lowest in the game. So when I said glass cannon, this is the glass part. They do not have a lot of hit points. They do not have any armor proficiency. And even in terms of weapons, though, they don't get a whole lot. Instead of even just simple weapons, they only get daggers, darts, slings, staffs, and light crossbows. So they do not have a lot to keep them safe at close range. However, they have magic all of the magic. So before even diving into all of the levels and abilities, I do want to just talk a little bit about the more generic frame of sorcerer magic in that sorcerers get access to more cantrips than anyone else at the game, starting out and all the way through. So even a level one sorcerer has four cantrips available. And by the time they get to endgame, they will have six so if you want a character that has either a lot of damagey spells or just a couple of utility cantrips, Sorcerer is absolutely the way to go. And in terms of multiclassing, that would mean that only a single level of Sorcerer, if you do multiclass someone with high charisma, is really easy to get four cantrips. So as a quick tangent example of that, Paladins, one big flaw of their magic is that they don't get cantrips. However, their spellcasting is charisma based. So an argument can be made that a paladin that takes one level of sorcerer getting four cantrips can very much be worth it. Anyway, moving on from that. So one thing that is an unfortunate limit that sorcerers have is that they are the class with the most cantrips, but the least known spells. So most of the time, like a bard or a druid has a decent number of spells that they're able to cast. Sorcerers, not so much. So a level one sorcerer only knows two first level spells. And even at end game, when they're level 20, they only know 15. So they do not get access to a large number of spells. However, the ones that they do get are quite powerful. So I believe I already mentioned, but they are a charisma-based spellcasting class. So that is very much the stat that you want to be your high stat to build a sorcerer. However, one thing that is something to keep in mind, because of how squishy a sorcerer is, I would say that having that higher constitution score as your secondary is even more important with than it is for a lot of other spellcasters. Like a warlock, because it has a D8, is much safer just in combat than a sorcerer is. You know, a cleric gets hit points and armor with their spellcasting. A sorcerer only has their magic. So I highly suggest putting a decent amount of constitution into your sorcerer, or at the very least, just be very careful in your positioning in combat because you do not want anyone getting to reach your sorcerer. Anyway, moving on from that. So one thing that's kind of interesting about the sorcerer in comparison to a lot of other spellcasters 
instead of picking your subclass at third level or second level, as some are, sorcerers pick theirs at level one. So immediately you get to make the choice on, as they call it, your sorceress origin. And as usual, we're going to skip what that is for the moment, all of those options, and we're just going to go through the generic sorcerer abilities and then backtrack to the subclasses. So your level one abilities are actually defined by your subclass. So we're actually just going to flat out skip it for now and then move on to the level two stuff. So at second level, sorcerers get an amazing set of abilities that is referred to in the general header of font of magic. And what basically happens is that sorcerers, as they level up, starting at level two on, have a number of sorcery points. So kind of similar to the way a monk's key works in that whatever your level of sorcerer is, you have that many sorcery points. So level two, two sorcery, 15, 15, 20, 20, and so on. However, you get to use these sorcery points in very, very useful ways. Uh, however, one thing that is different, unfortunately, than the monk in that a monk gets their key back with a short rest, you only get your sorcery points back with a long rest. So they do have that limitation. But I would argue that what they're able to do makes that trade-off oh so very much worth it. So you gain an ability called flexible casting as soon as you get sorcery points at level two. You can use your sorcery points to gain additional spell slots or sacrifice spell slots to gain additional sorcery points. And that sounds simple, but is so useful. So there are a lot of abilities that the sorcery points themselves grant that are very useful. So the ability to trade spell slots for points or points for slots, the fact that you can go either way towards whatever build your character is, is fantastically versatile. So whatever direction is useful, you can do. That's great. Then uh, at third level, you get another fantastic set of choices called metamagic, which, you know, to show my bias here for a moment, I would also say is one of my favorite sets of abilities in the game because metamagic allows you to kind of tweak the rules of the spells that you cast. So the only limit on metamagic is that you can only use one metamagic option on a spell unless it specifically says that you can cast this one with something else. So you get a few options to pick on how you can tweak your magic. You get two options at level three and then an additional one at 10 and 17. So the options, careful spell. When you cast a spell that forces creatures to make a saving throw, you can protect some of the creatures from the spell's full force. Spend one sorcery point and choose a number of creatures up to your charisma modifier, which should be your best stat. A chosen creature automatically succeeds on its saving throw. So this is fantastic in that this will allow you to cast a spell like Fireball, but spare your allies of the full force of the spell. Next up, Distant Spell. Cast a spell with a range of five feet or greater. You can spend a sorcery point to double the range. 
or when you cast a spell with a range of touch, spend a sorcery point to give it a range of 30 feet. That is awesome. There are a lot of spells that are touch only, and this gives you an option to make it ranged or to just flat out double the range of a spell. So casting distance spell on something like fireball would let you launch it 300 feet. That is incredible. And with how squishy you are, range is your friend. All right, next up, empowered spell. When you roll damage, you can spend one sorcery point to re-roll a number of the damage dice up to your charisma modifier, must use the new rolls. And this is the one option that even if you use another meta magic option, you can still use empowered spell as well. And the ability to cast a spell, I use fireball as the example all the time, and so I'm going to keep going with that. So let's say you cast fireball and roll a one, a one, and a two on the damage as part of the 8d8 then that would allow you to re-roll those, so potentially doing a significant amount more damage. Next up, Extended Spell. Cast a spell with a one minute or longer duration, spend one point to double its duration up to a maximum of 24 hours. Heightened Spell. When you cast a spell that forces a creature to make a saving throw, you can spend three points to give one target of the spell disadvantage on the saving throw. Quickened spell. When you cast a spell with a cast time of one action, you can spend two points to change the casting time to a bonus action. That is another one that is incredible. Giving a spell a casting time of a bonus action means that you can use your action for anything else. So whether you need to disengage to get out of there, but still attack using your bonus action, or you could use it if you want to cast a cantrip with your action then to still do yet more damage. That is fantastic. Next up, subtle spell. Spend one sorcery point to cast a spell without somatic or verbal components. So as I talked about a little bit on Tuesday's Mind Flare episode, casting a spell with no somatic or verbal components means even if your character is tied up and gagged, you still have access to your magic. And that is hugely useful in the right situation. Or on the other side of things, in a more fun-loving situation. Let's say that you're a spellcaster who enjoys a prank. Then this would allow you to cast a spell without making it very apparent that you're the one who did it. So if you wanted to just you know, do a prestidigitation color change on something or some sleight of hand. There's there's a lot of prank potential with subtle spell. And finally, twinned spell. When you cast a spell that targets one creature and doesn't have a range of self, you can spend sorcery points equal to the spell's level to target a second creature. So that is a fantastic addition to action economy in that you turn a single target spell into a two target spell. So if you have, let's say, the spell disintegrate once you are high level enough to have that, that is a massively powerful just damage spell regarding, regardless of its other uses. So the ability to turn a powerful spell into two targets is great. Anyway, uh, then they just get their ability score improvements at the usual 4, 8, 12, 16, 19. 
And that's it until the capstone at level 20, Sorceress Restoration. So at 20th level, you gain four, you regain four expended sorcery points whenever you finish a short rest. So that is another interesting one, considering the fact that you can exchange your sorcery points for spells or vice versa. This means that while slowly, if you take a few short rests for a max level sorcerer, they actually do have an option to regain some of their expended magic. And that is, while not a particularly big or fast ability, is one that can be very much useful. So now let's go into the subclasses. So there's only actually a few of them for the sorcerer. There's the Divine Soul, Draconic Bloodline, Shadow Magic, Storm Sorcery, and wild magic. So starting alphabetically with the divine soul. So this is someone who is touched by the divine in some manner or other. Exactly how you choose to interpret that in your game is up to you. It could be something as simple as you know, maybe you're descended from an angel or you might just like have been born under a certain planetary alignment, but whatever the how of it, and it's debatable whether it's even something you need to know, but in some way you are touched by the divine and that gives you a number of abilities. But immediately, even at first level, the first thing you get is amazing. Divine magic. Your link to the divine allows you to learn spells from the cleric class. When your spellcasting feature lets you learn or replace a sorcerer, cantrip, or spell of first level or higher, you can choose that spell from the cleric spell list or the sorcerer spell list. That is nuts. So that means that a divine soul sorcerer can cast any spell, well, can, sorry, can pick any spell rather from the sorcerer or cleric spell list. So in addition to all of the very powerful damage abilities that a sorcerer has access to, you also gain all of the clerics, buffs, and healing in addition to that. That is fantastic. Then you also get to, depending on your alignment, so I mentioned uh, last week in the alignment episode that you get to, there are some abilities that actually do use alignment in game, and the Divine Soul Sorcerer is one of them. So depending on whether your character is chaotic, evil, good, lawful, or neutral, you get to pick an additional spell based on which one your character is useful. So throughout the process of leveling up, they just continue gaining more abilities along the theme of the divine. They gain the ability to add a little bit of boost <laughs> favored by the gods for that ability. And so you can potentially get a boost of 2d4 once per short rest to a saving throw, an attack roll. So changing whether something is a miss or a hit is a very useful ability. Then they also can potentially gain uh, extra hit uh, Sorry, you could re-roll some dice for a healing spell by spending a sorcery point. So similar to the one meta magic that lets you re-roll the damage dice, this allows you to spend a sorcery point to re-roll healing, which is potentially quite useful. At level 14, you get to manifest wings from your back that gives you a fly speed of 30 feet. 
And then at 18, you get unearthly recovery. So once per day, so refreshing with a long rest, as a bonus action, when you're below half hit points, you regain half of your hit point maximum in hit points. So that is a fantastic emergency heal for such a squishy character. Then moving on to the Draconic Bloodline. So somewhere in your lineage, you have Draconic Blood, or at least Draconic Magic. Exactly how you choose to interpret that can vary world by world. So even at first level, though, you get to pick what type of Draconic Magic you have within you. So that is just one of the normal dragon types, whether it is, you know, black, blue, green, red, et cetera, et cetera. Even some of the metallic dragons are on that list as an option. And also you get to double your proficiency bonus anytime you make any charisma check interacting with dragons. So anytime you need to make an intimidation or persuasion type roll. Now, still at level one for this, you also get draconic resilience which gives you an extra hit point every level that you have in the Sorcerer class. So, you know, level 7 Sorcerer will have 7 additional hit points if you are of the Draconic Bloodline. But in addition to that fact, you also get a thin sheen of dragon-like scales on parts of your skin, which, when you're not wearing armor, gives you an AC of 13 plus your dex mod. So, considering the fact that a sorcerer has no armor proficiency, this one definitely gives you a little bit more defenses, which is definitely a useful thing. Then at 6th level, you also gain the ability to add your charisma modifier to the damage of one damage roll that deals damage of the same type associated with your draconic heritage. So if you're a, a you know descendant of a white dragon, then you would be able to do a little bit of extra cold damage. Also, you gain the ability to spend one sorcery point to gain resistance to you know your dragon type for an hour. So if you know you're going into a situation where you could really use, you know, your red dragon ancestors fire resistance, for example, that can be very helpful. And then at 14, these guys also gain the ability to grow wings, but in this case, dragon wings. And then finally, Draconic Presence at 18. You can channel the dread presence of your dragon ancestor, which is, I just love the phrasing on some so many of these things. But what it actually is, though, is spend five sorcery points to exude an aura of awe or fear for 60 feet around you for a minute or until you lose concentration. Each hostile creature, so only enemies, must succeed on a wisdom saving throw or be charmed with the awe aura or frightened with the fear aura until the aura ends. So it's much like a dragon's presence ability, but the fact that you can just do that by spending five sorcery points can be massively helpful in the right situation. Next up, shadow magic. 
So magic that comes from the Shadowfell itself. So one kind of odd thing about this is that it mentions at the very start that you acquire some kind of quirk from your shadow magic abilities, which is something on a D6 list here, such as you're always icy cold to the touch. You barely bleed even when badly injured. You blinked once last week. <laughs> some of these are quite strange, but that could potentially be quite fun. So you get at first level 120 feet of dark vision. So this is another fantastic option for a multi-classer potentially to just gain 120 feet dark vision with one level of sorcerer. That is a fantastic option, depending on the world or situation that your party is in. And then in addition, that same dark vision granting ability also lets you learn the dark vision spell at third level without counting against your sorcerer spells known. So having that extra spell can be very useful when your choices are so very limited as they are with the sorcerer class. Also, what's cool is that you can flat out cast the darkness spell with this subclass just by spending two sorcery points or by expending a spell slot. And if you do cast it with sorcery points, you can see through the darkness created by your spell. That is fantastically helpful. Any situation where your enemy cannot see and you can is good. And they also get a really nice survival option also at level one even. So when damage reduces you to zero hit points, you can make a charisma saving throw with a DC of five plus the damage taken. And on a success, you don't go to zero, you just drop to one instead. The only limit on that is you cannot use that ability if you're reduced by radiant damage or crit, which, fair enough. And you can't use it again until you finish a long rest, which, fair enough. For a level 1 ability, that's still pretty dang good. <laughs> level 6 gives another of the very fun named abilities. Hound of Ill Omen. So you call forth a howling creature of darkness to harass your foes. As a bonus action, so very good for action economy, three sorcery points can be spent to magically summon a hound to target a creature you can see within 120 feet, uses this dire wolf stats, except for being a little bit smaller and a monstrosity instead of a beast, and with some extra temporary hit points because of the magic of the summoning, and it can move through creatures and objects as if they were difficult terrain. That is really cool. Level 14 Shadow Walk. When you're in dim light or darkness as a bonus action, you can magically teleport up to 120 feet to an unoccupied space that is also dim light or darkness. So no resources, no spell slots, no sorcery points. You can just teleport from darkness to darkness. That is really cool. And then at 18 Umbral Form, 6 sorcery points as a bonus action to magically transform into a shadowy form which gives you resistance to all damage except force and radiant and you can move through other creatures and objects yourself as if they were difficult terrain just take damage if you end up inside something and you stay in that form for a full minute 
unless you're incapacitated, die or dismiss it. Storm Sorcerer. Some connection to elemental magic. Gives you the ability to speak, read, and write primordial, and gives you the ability as a bonus action to cause whirling gusts of air to surround you before or after casting a spell that allows you to fly up to 10 feet without any opportunity attacks. So not the most offensive of the options, however, very good from the avoidance category of things. Then at sixth level, Heart of the Storm, resistance to lightning and thunder damage. And any time you cast a spell of first level or higher with that deals lightning or thunder damage, there is an eruption of stormy magic that lets creatures of your choice that you can see within 10 feet, take lightning or thunder damage equal to half your level, which means that if you're a level 10 storm sorcerer, you can just flat out deal five lightning damage automatically. That is amazing because it is not a saving throw. It is automatic damage. Now, also at sixth level, they get an additional ability, storm guide. If it's raining, you can use an action to cause the rain to stop falling in a 20-foot radius sphere around you. Can end this effect as a bonus action. Or if it's windy, you can use a bonus action to choose the direction the wind blows in a 100-foot radius sphere around you. The wind blows in that direction until the end of your next turn. Does not alter the speed of the wind. So in general, the Storm Sorcerer isn't the most damagey subclass, but it gives a lot of interesting utility options. The ability to just not have the party get rained on or to control the wind. So if you're on a ship, that could be fantastic. That's really interesting set of abilities. Anyway, uh, at 14th level, Storm's Fury. When you're hit by a melee attack, reaction to deal automatic lightning damage equal to your level. Also, they make a strength saving throw against your spell save DC or be pushed 20 feet away from you. Then at 18, you gain immunity to lightning and thunder damage. Also, a fly speed of 60 feet. And you get an option. As an action, you can reduce your fly speed to 30 feet for one hour and choose a number of creatures within 30 feet equal of uh, three plus your charisma mod. They gain a fly speed of 30 feet for an hour as well. Although you can only do the shared fly speed for one hour before needing a short rest or long rest to do it again. So giving the entire party a one hour fly speed is really, really versatile. And finally, the wild magic sorcerer. Oh boy, this is the one that probably causes the most stress at the table, but at the same time, some amazing stories. So wild magic is the magic of chaos. It is weird and, well, it's, as it says in the tin, it is wild magic. <laughs> so what this actually does, though, once per turn, the DM can have you roll a d20 immediately after you cast a spell of first level or higher. If you roll a one, roll on the wild magic surge table. 
to create a magical effect. If it is a spell, it's too wild to be affected by your metamagic. And if it normally requires concentration, it doesn't in this case. It lasts for its full duration. And the wild magic table is a D100 of all kinds of crazy shit. It can either make a random creature fly, it could turn you invisible for a while, you could accidentally turn yourself into a sheep, you can just have a bunch of creatures take 4d10 lightning damage, and one of the most iconic things, it might cast fireball centered on yourself. There are a lot of things on this list that are potentially rather dangerous. So one thing to just keep in mind, though, about that wild magic surge is the fact that for the most part, well, not for the most part, it actually flat out says the DM can have you roll a d20. So this is something that is actually under a lot of control by the DM in terms of how often it is triggered. So DMs, keep that in mind. It does not automatically trigger every time. It's up to you to decide how often you want it to trigger. Anyway, also at first level, Tides of Chaos. You can choose to gain advantage on one attack roll, ability check, or saving throw. Once you do so, you have to finish a long rest before you use this feature again. However, any time before you regain the use of this feature, the DM can have you roll on the Wild Magic Surge table immediately after you cast a spell and allow you to regain use of this feature. So to be safe, you can just give yourself once a day advantage or you can choose to trigger a Wild Magic Surge to get the feature back when you cast a leveled spell. That is the ability that so very, very often causes difficulty because someone who willingly uses their tides of chaos ability more often to allow the wild magic surges to happen well chaos anyway sixth level bend luck when another creature you can see makes an attack roll ability check or a saving throw you can use your reaction and two sorcery points to roll a d4 and add the number as a bonus or penalty to the creature's roll. And you're allowed to do so after they roll, but just before any effects of the roll. So if you see someone hit an ally, but barely, then you could roll a d4 to try to turn that hit to a miss, or the opposite side for an ally to try to turn their miss into a hit. So that amount of flexibility is really, really good. And the fact that it's only limited by your sorcery points means that once you are a relatively high-level character and can potentially even turn your spell slots into more sorcery points, you can use that ability a lot, potentially. Anyway, 14, Controlled Chaos. When you roll on the Wild Magic Surge table, you can roll twice and use either number. That helps a lot. Because the sheer chaos of how many things are on the Wild Magic Surge table, it can be real bad. Like, I have seen uh, three TPKs caused by Wild Magic. And the fact that this allows you to roll twice and pick whichever is the least bad option of the two rolls is fantastic. And then finally, Spell Bombardment. 
So 18th level, when you roll damage for a spell and roll the highest number on any of the dice, choose one of those dice, roll it again, and add that roll to the damage. You can use this feature only once per turn. So that is really, really cool. So if you cast Fireball and then just on one of the D8s roll an 8, then you add another D8 to your damage. So you turn an 8D8 spell into a 9D8 spell. That's really good. And the fact that that does not require any resources is a very nice thing. In summary, a Sorcerer is a class with a lot of powerful damaging spells at their disposal and the subclasses grant a lot of abilities to shape exactly what direction you want your sorcerer to be and in addition to all of that you have your sorcery points which gives you even more versatility in how you want your sorcerer to be able to use everything thanks for listening to this episode of refs and rules Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Tier sells low as a dollar, and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord, we'll be able to chat with the cast, and even a shout-out on the show. Find us on social media, on Twitter at Riffwake Podcast, on Facebook as Riffwake, and on Reddit on the subreddit r slash Podcast. And now send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffsandrules at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.